A reversal agent is an antidote, a cure. Both as a medical term and figure of speech, it implies going back to the way things were. AQMB's Reversal Agents podcast for Rewire examines notions of the past and the future, human agency and healing, in music, art and culture right now. In this episode, we explore contemporary challenges to rationalism in an age of data, asking what the unique effects of technological mediation are on the culture of spirituality, by inviting artist and founding member of Black Obsidian Sound System, Evan Efekoya, for a discussion, along with a mix from multifaceted art platform, Most Dismal Swamp. I'm Jared Davis, and today I talk with Evan on topics spanning astrology and digital mediation, ritual practices, and music's relation to mysticism, as explored in exhibitions such as Ritual Without Belief at London's Gasworks, and their work for the major group show Transformer, A Rebirth of Wonder at London's 180 The Strand in 2019. Esoteric practices seem to be as much a part of the cultural imagination today as technological practices. One example is... uh, I guess like looking at something like the CoStar app uh, mixes astrology with the sort of Silicon Valley aesthetic, you know, sort of in its references to NASA data and AI. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to just start by asking, what are your thoughts on the relations between technology and mysticism today and, and how that kind of relates to your practice? Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you bring up um, this this app because, yeah, there is a number of apps right now that, sort of enable people to go a little bit deeper into astrology. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, initially I was also quite seduced by them. You know, I think there is a there is a charm um, to kind of how um, you receive the information. But I think something I'm kind of aware of in, in how... Um, how we kind of access astrology through, say, algorithms and, um, you know, kind of data um, is that, I don't know, for me, there's something missing, actually, in, in um, you know, when I think about the, you know, when I, for example, when I get an astrology reading, uh, you know, one-to-one, Actually, I, I gain and glean so much more than I ever could through, you know, an algorithm that sort of pieced together a few different aspects of who I am. Um, you know, I think there is still a piece about um, the human in, in how we engage with, um, you know, sort of astrology and things like that, that is still very um, important and and actually in a way with apps like CoStar it kind of invisibilizes the fact that there is still human beings involved in the process you know um, so yeah I know for me it's important that it can kind of all be laid out and and all be kind of quite explicit and and even though I sort of see technology as a sort of gateway as a way in I think if you really want to um, sort of deepen and kind of really get to the root and the heart of something I think yeah there needs to be more there needs to be more of a of an engagement in yeah the 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 teachings of of mystics you know the teachings of um astrologers Mm -hmm. and actually working with real life astrologers who who bring a level of you know intuition Mm -hmm. and sensitivity that you know an algorithm and you know AI can't really provide us with and just to you know, reiterate, I guess, the humanness in in how we are interacting with, um, you know, the esoteric and technology and actually how for me, um, you know, what I guess technology has enabled me to do is really connect with um, astrologers that really resonate for me in terms of like, you know, how they talk about astrology, um, and, um, you know, the sort of the perspective that they bring. So, you know, a habit I've got into is like getting solar return readings. So every, you know, every year sort of around my birthday, I will have a, I will get a reading, you know, with a specific astrologer who, you know, and this is a kind of, um, you know, engagement and and the kind of breaking down of your chart that, you know, an app or AI is never really going to be able to tap into. And, you know, a couple of astrologers who 
whose readings, you know, I, I, I remember like coming back to, you know, a number of times over a year, you know, and that would be um, Samuel Reynolds and also Naimanu James. And actually Naimanu doesn't seem to be as active at the moment. Um, I'm not sure why. Um, she used to do, uh, you know, monthly um forecasts you know for each sign and they were always just really um you know and you know as a a black queer you know woman she offered up a perspective um that you know I wasn't really seeing um around you know sort of sort of 2016 2017 um you know and, and then before that somebody like you know Astro Barry who's a queer astrologer, who, again, isn't really operating right now. I guess, you know, the the speed at which things have moved and I guess the way that now a lot of um, people access astrology through Instagram maybe just wasn't, you know, I can only really speculate, but perhaps just wasn't really in alignment for them. But, you know, they're astrologers who... um, really stick in my mind as as kind of offering something very like specific and very detailed in in how they're looking at you know the energy and the alignments of planets but also this really um quite amazing ability to um also kind of kind of incorporate aspects of their own you know personality and and kind of nuance and then you know somebody now who I would you know really sort of say is like doing that and really kind of adding you know a sort of decolonial approach even to astrology somebody like Alice Sparkly Cat so um yeah you know you know I think I think there's something to be said, you know, for kind of working with um, real life human uh, astrologers, you know, in our practice. Um, looking through your Instagram recently, uh, I saw an interesting post you made on a book you're reading uh, called The Mysticism of Sound and Music, the Sufi teachings of Hazrat Inayat Khan. Um, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, about that book a little bit more and, and sort of your, maybe your thoughts on how esoteric practices play a role in your thinking on music specifically oh gosh yeah no they they really do and you know it's funny because I think you know my practice has kind of always um you know from from the very early days has engaged with with sound and the sonic but it's in kind of the last sort of four or five years where I've been thinking about you know the spiritual dimension of sound. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, teachings by, you know, somebody like Hazrat Inyat Khan has been really kind of fundamental in kind of articulating and clarifying things that I already kind of had a sense of, you know, the sense that, um, you know, sound is the beginning and end of the universe, you know, pretty much mm-hmm. all creation stories from, you know, Ifar, you know, the Yoruba Nigerian tradition where, you know, we learn that, um, you know, the world or or life began um, in the breaking of a calabash. It was the sound of the breaking of the calabash that then created shards of consciousness, which became the Orisha, which then became, you know, humankind. And then we have the Big Bang, you know, in a kind of Western context. So actually sound very much is the beginning of the universe you know and so um mm-hmm. teachings yeah like like that of, of Hasbrook just kind of articulate it in a really kind of um beautiful and and poetic way and so really it, it just kind of validates things that I already thought you know because that is um or that's what I glean from you know the teachings of mystics it's it's not you know they're not trying to say um you know, I, I never feel like I'm being spoon fed. You know, I feel like really what it, what I'm doing is or what they do is they provide a mirror, you know, for realities or experiences or truths that, to be honest, we all kind of hold within us, you know, and it's about kind of reaching mm. and, and kind of deepening and understanding, revealing our own truths. So it's about kind of yeah, empowering oneself to kind of really um yeah, just kind of honour one's own truth, one's own reality. And and so, yeah, my journey has just been kind of, yeah, searching out um, the stories that kind of solidify things that were already in my awareness and consciousness. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the art of devotion 
uh, online courses that you were running recently. One thing that's interesting to me, I, I get from some reading a bit uh, and, and seeing you in interview, is um, this kind of idea of uh, how spiritual practices today, like ritual and sacred spaces, can have a bit of a role outside of more established religious frameworks. Yes, yes. So, so Black Bo- Blossoms, um, which is a really amazing project by um, uh, Bola Tajuddin. And, um, you know, she invited me to devise a course. And yeah, the, you know, the, the, the art of devotion just felt really, yeah, that was where I wanted to take it. You know, having, um, yeah, like I said, kind of been in pursuit of my own um journey to sort of deepening my own sort of understanding of my you know various aspects of my own religious upbringing and things that did resonate things that didn't and then also kind of you know through various um you know instances in my life also kind of having like a number of spiritual awakenings kind of really kind of um um feeling the effects and the benefits of a spiritual practice but also kind of understanding the harm that can be caused within these sort of doctrines of religion so wanting to kind of Mm -hmm. find my own space kind of within and outside of these um you know kind of specific practices and and actually finding a lot of um solace and a lot of identification in the practices of artists you know and I think um you know and and something that I am quite uh I guess ambivalent towards is you know kind of this moment where where we're in where um you know I think there's a lot of interest in new age practices you know like um uh, astrology and things like that but you know for me what what was or what is missing is is that kind of the link between our material realities you know for me as a black queer person mm. you know there are certain material realities that impact my life you know and even though I am very concerned and very invested in cultivating a relationship with you know the spiritual dimension of my existence I also understand what it is to be a black queer person a non-binary person living today so so the course was about kind of you know how how do we meet in the middle of all of those things you know so it was connecting with artists like um or you know the practices of artists like Rotimi Fanny Coyote you know who who was who, who was also you know black queer um Yoruba and 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 was looking at the intersection of of, of being diasporic Yoruba and and also kind of looking at the impact of Christian indoctrination on his experience on his reality so you know it was a space to kind of think through and work through practices like this um such as Rotimi you know and his really beautiful and evocative uh you know photography um and then also yeah like teachings um and uh you know and also sort of the the sonic dimension so you know looking at, into the work of people like Alice Coltrane, Teria Sangi Taria Sangitananda, mm-hmm. um, you know, so thinking about the spaces in between these these kind of um, points of articulation, and yeah, it was just it was just a way to bring people together who who wanted to think through these ideas and also kind of think about how they might inform their own practices, you know, because the majority of the people who came were either you know artists or curators or you know some kind of like cultural practitioners who were thinking about how they bring these things. Um, you know, into their own practice. And, you know, I also, um, you know, as somebody who does, you know, hold space for, you know, learning for pedagogy, you know, I also want to make um, these spaces where we can bring our full embodied multidimensional selves. So I very much make, um, you know, I create a space which is a kind of ritual container in a way, you know, I open up a space with sound, Mm -hmm. you know, and I close a space with sound, you know, so again, um, the power and the role that it plays in kind of moving, shifting and redistributing energy as well is, is something that kind of I bring into, yeah, everything that I do. Mm. Um, I, re- I really like this term ritual container that you just mentioned. And uh, I guess sort of on the subject of some of these um, things you've just been talking about, I wanted to ask, what do you think about the relation between um, faith and ritual practices and creative practices more generally? Um, 
uh, Issa, how this notion, how, how notions like healing and transformation seem to sit across both spiritual and artistic practices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the link between all of these things is intention, you know, because a ritual is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's something that you do or that is done repeatedly. You know, it can be the most simple and mundane thing, you know, like having a glass of water, you know, saying something into that glass of water. And so setting an intention, you know, with that glass of water um, that then, you know, will have a ripple effect. And, you know, for me, it's kind of, uh, you know, that's the same with my creative practice. You know, I want there, you know, I set intention for the work that I do to um, to kind of offer up something or to do something in the world and for people. And of course, I can't control, um, you know, how that's received or, or what the outcomes are. But, you know, my, uh, you know, I'm empowered in, in setting the intention yeah, so it really just is about, you know, the things that, that I'm involved in, the things that I do, the things that I put out there. So in my daily life and also in my creative practice, you know, exhibition making, um, performance, all kind of having an intention, you know, all kind of having a desire to um, to shift or, or reorient, you know, how we um, be, live and kind of move through the world. Mm maybe to sort of ground some of these ideas um i wondered if you could talk a bit about a recent installation work of yours um uh, that that showed a, a couple of years ago now i guess uh well yeah time time 2020 i guess flew by but um your work that showed at uh 180 the strand um prophetic map one um tojuba farabale um can you can you tell us about that work uh, i think it, it could touch on some of these themes quite nicely yes yeah no I guess I was sort of speaking about things in in the abstract but yeah so prophetic map mark um one so actually Tojiba Farabale um which was the kind of the the, the sub title um is a is a Yoruba proverb which sort of loosely translates to um you know, look beyond the butterfly that's on your nose. Um, so, you know, this this phrase that I'd been sitting with um, sort of prior to the installation forming is this idea of practicing stillness as a matter of urgency. Um, you know, I'd been kind of pondering this question, like what feels urgent for me right now? And this is like pre-pandemic, pre all of that, you know, and I realized I had a, a need, a, an urgent need to actually be still. To, to, to kind of, yeah, make a practice of that, make a ritual of, of stillness, because I realised there was, um, you know, some inner work that I needed to do. So in kind of creating a work around this, it was about kind of offering up the that question and, and other things that I was kind of questioning and exploring to, to a viewer or to an audience who might um, interact with the work. And, you know, I think something I'm you know something I'm trying to do when I yeah when I create installations is really trying to um maybe shift the experience that we can have in an exhibition space you know just to kind of give some context um so what I created was a um an installation a sort of a mixed media installation where you had um so you entered a space so there was like a small fountain um a water fountain quartz crystal so you kind of had a kind of cleansing moment you know because i think you know something i um need to or, or like to ensure that I embed into the works is that opportunity to um, clear yourself of any energy that you might enter into a space with, you know, to kind of go back to, you know, that the spaces that I hold is that, you know, we all arrive somewhere with, um, you know, ideas, you know, we might be holding on to things. So, you know, the first thing I do is I, I clear and shift any existing energy, you know, or I offer up an opportunity for, for somebody to do that. And then and then you sort of go into the main space and there's um you know there's there's a sort of two layer sound installation. So there's a sound that's playing kind of outside the space. And then there's what I called a healing portal, which is this kind of um, 3D sculptural macabre, um, which is a structure um, 
which is a, actually, so, I mean, the word um, is it's a Kabbalistic word, which literally means light spirit body. So um, again, it's like wanting to create this container to um, to support and work with the multidimensionality of who we are. So to tap into our physical body, our spiritual body, our emotional body, you know, so I do that physically and then sonically, um, you know, inside as well, the portal, there's another sound work, which is more kind of, um, not necessarily a guided um, meditation, but there's, there's, it's me kind of working and speaking through, um, uh, yeah, various kind of ways of being, kind of accessing different points in the body, kind of, you know, inviting sort of a kind of questioning and inviting a kind of a turning inward, I should speak, I should say. Um, and then, you know, another layer to the sound work is that, um, you know, it was tuned to the frequency of 528 hertz. So um, another dimension of my work um, the last few years has been to work with healing frequencies. You know, I've become very, you know, again, part of my daily practice, I often start my day um, with a playlist of music, which is all tuned to a specific frequency and and frequencies can... um, connect with different points in the body so that so I might have a playlist for example which is like a heart chakra playlist so it's all um you know music that's tuned to five two eight hertz um or six three hertz six three six three six like they both kind of tap into um heart chakra and so the point um the the point with that was to again kind of open um create a moment and actually 528 hertz is also considered the optimum healing frequency and you know there have been um scientific studies that have been done um you know on kind of you know single cells and 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 it has been sort of demonstrated that you know over even just a short period of time of like contact with these frequency it has the ability to repair cells so I'm also kind of really um excited by the idea that you know I can create work that not only kind of on a um you know say spiritual level might kind of have some transformative effect but that might literally on a cellular level um invite a kind of you know transformation or reconfiguration of the body um you know and so it was this container which again kind of invited a moment to pause to lie down to reflect um and then, you know, another aspect is that the macabre was studded with um, organite. So organite pucks, orgone, orgone energy. Um, you know what? I realise there's so many different elements to this work that I could be talking for hours. <laughs> but um, yeah, orgone energy by William Reich, I think, is is another is another aspect that was quite important to that work. Um, you know, William Reich um, was a scientist who actually, um, you know, it's really amazing. He developed this energy, this energy source, which again, kind of like um, Tesla, would have completely revolutionised. You know. Um, how we um, how we work with um, you know current electricity things like that would have completely made it free so of course he ended up in prison and died in prison because these ideas were too radical you know Um, and for me that means that he was onto something you know he was onto something if he if he if he was imprisoned for these ideas if he was imprisoned for creating like you know literally he yeah he created these structures which could um orgone literally stands for like orgasmic energy so it's literally this idea of tapping into the energy that is within us you know to then create current yeah i mean it's really amazing it's really kind of yeah it's, it's seen as like kind of out there but for me it it makes sense you know even as i'm talking about it i'm getting excited by its potential you know and um yeah so i really went on a journey <laughs> with that work i really did um as someone that's that's quite attuned to technological mediation i'd say um but also uh, thinking a lot in your work about different modes of being together togetherness and collectivity i was wondering what your thoughts are um or have been over the last year on a new heavily uh technologically mediated social space i'd say with the pandemic um you know, it, as at least in the UK, as we're starting to move out of things a little bit in terms of lockdown, it still really feels like um, this will be a bit of a new normal. Um, the Zoom online, uh, you know, increasingly things moving online. Um, 
despite in you know definitely in my my opinion not really a substitute for physical presence um so i i was wondering yeah what are your thoughts on on a, a kind of new new normal gosh yeah i mean you know i feel like i'm 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 making do you know i'm i'm making do with the situation that we have you know i'm i'm still holding spaces you know i'm i think in some ways actually some things have um it's actually it's enabled me to actually access more learning and more you know i've been able to do more like courses and you know kind of access teachings with people you know who live on the other side of the world that you know perhaps pre-pandemic i may not have accessed so i think in that sense it is really good um but i think there's still something about um you know, being in space with people, the moments when, you know, the downtime, you know, when you can just have a kind of incidental conversation with somebody and or you can kind of reflect on an experience that you're having with somebody, which I for sure really miss. You know, I think, you know, the, the, the chat box, I don't know, it still feels kind of formal in some way for me, you know, kind of um, that space. So I, I don't I don't think it could ever really completely... Um, replace yeah uh in person um you know interactions and certainly yeah certainly not in terms of like social events I think in terms of your yeah, spaces of like teaching and learning I think actually I think it's great you know I've yeah like I said accessing accessing particular teachings has been really wonderful I feel like in the last year I've learned more than I have in like you know 10 years just in, in who I've been able to like be in touch with and yeah you know sign up to courses courses by um so so you know I think with anything that there, there are pluses but there are also minuses hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, Black Obsidian Sound System? Um, really would, would love to know more about this project and also maybe your interest in sound system culture generally. Um, I'm interested in this notion of, of the, the community ownership side of it. Um, also, really, it's an interesting use of technology as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so, so um, Black Obsidian Sound System boss um, started life actually as part of a, an exhibition that I did called Ritual Without Belief and the without was striped through and sort of in the I guess two three yeah maybe three years prior to that exhibition I'd been doing um, a lot of research into um, black queer social centres um, in London and beyond because I was kind of thinking about I was doing research around this you know where where is where is the that place now where our politics and our pleasure can meet you know and and the social center was that space you know it was that site where people would organize they would radicalize but they would also you know fall in love you know and and so I was having conversations with um you know women who ran sound systems you know I was working in archives such as the Ruckus Archive at London Metropolitan Archives I'd also been doing some some work at the Glasgow Women's Library where a lot of material on um social centers in uh, London was held and yeah again I was like you know piecing together things but I was like you know and I think something I was always also noticing in um sort of nightlife in London around that sort of 2016-2017 moment is there was you know I think you know black queer folk were starting to organize a bit more like specifically around you know those points of identity but you know often the organizing was happening in these spaces that were for one reason or another compromised so either it was the right space um but like and you know and the, and, and the goods and a good sound system but the space was compromised because it wasn't a space for us so we were kind of encountering violence or you know in the opposite to that you know it would be the right space maybe because it was a you know a community center or whatever but it just we didn't have the right sound system you know and 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 for me I don't know there's something really important you know when I'm when I'm when I'm at a club like for me it's about 
the sound. You know, it's about the experience of being by um, the sub and feeling the sound, you know? And, and we were in a moment where they're just... That wasn't happening, or if it was happening, it was completely compromised, you know. And and you know, and I was, you know, and and one of my favorite films, you know, is is Born in Flames, and and so again, it was just like having all of those things kind of come into my mind. And then, yeah, in 2017, I was invited to, um, you know, do this show at Gasworks. And then at some point in that, I was like, oh, you know, I know that I want to do this sound installation. Why spend all this money hiring equipment? Like, why not create a sound system, you know, with my community? You know, because I think I'm somebody who's often... And again, you know, around that period, because this was like a two, a sort of two year period where I was like, okay, what do I want to do? Like, da-da-da. And I'd also, you know, been to... Um, Octavia E. Butler's archive. Like, I'd, I'd done some research at Octavia's archive. And again, I was so... Um, what's the word? I was just... I mean, you know, I think we all... You know, a lot of folks now understand, like, how amazing and special, you know, her work is and, and the power of her work. But I think something that really struck me in the archive was the way that she was speaking herself into existence, the way that she was constantly manifesting, the way that she was constantly imagining and asserting a new vision of her own reality, you know? And, and I think I'm somebody that also does that. You know, I'm like, oh, this thing isn't here or this thing could be different. So what can I create or what can I bring into the world that might transform my reality and also the reality of those around me you know and so yeah the idea came to create a sound system you know and I'm you know I'd never built a sound system before um but I had a desire I had a will and I just asked around you know and through friends and friends of friends I was like you know, have you built sound systems? And, and then eventually I found a small crew of people, you know, who had the knowledge, who had made systems before, either in part. And then we came together and we designed something. And then I invited, yeah, again, members of my community. So black queer people, you know, working in sound, working in, you know, nightlife, things like that, to be part of the process of building. So together we learned how to build the system. Together we created the system. Um, and then, yeah, the system then... Uh, was used in in the show uh, in ritual without belief and then after that um yeah then it took on its own life you know and then it was after the show that it became named black obsidian sound system and i gave it that name because you know obsidian again you know crystals is a, i guess another thing that um <laughs> you know but you know obsidian is a stone of truth and a stone of protection so again, it's like I wanted it to have this, I, I wanted to imbue it, yeah, with a kind of, again, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of um, pull down or, you know, bring in some energy outside of the material, you know, and, and kind of, you know, I, I sort of talked about, I talk about this idea of it being our sort of totemic object, you know, our, our object of, um, yeah, that again kind of creates something and, and galvanizes us in, in some way together. And, um, yeah, it's been a real journey, you know, with Boss and, you know, more people have become involved in the process. And yeah, like I said, it very much has its own life now, you know, because I continue to exhibit Ritual Without Belief, but the system exists very much independently of that now. And, you know, we've made um, a film together and we've done, you know, we do like, yeah, regular nights. Like pre-pandemic, we also did, you know, throw parties and, you know, I hope we can, we can start doing that again. But yeah, I mean... It, again it's like it was a seed you know it was a seed that I planted and and now it's grown you know now it's sort of taken on its own life and yeah I'm, I'm so <laughs> grateful for that. You mentioned the ritual without belief a bit I, I wanted to to talk a bit about that show um, and cause, yeah it, it covers a lot of some of the, the sort of key themes that I'm really interested in with your work could, could you maybe um, tell us about ritual without belief the show itself at Gasworks and a bit of some of its the ideas behind it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, rich without belief. Again, it was. You know, it was. It was. It was a real like the whole the lead up to the show was a real journey for me. 
Um, and I remember at some point, you know, I'd had, to be honest, I'd had a, I'd had a breakdown. I'd realized I was, I was just so, um, feeling, feeling so kind of overwhelmed and, and kind of un, fulfilled and and I think actually I'd just come back from 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 Los Angeles and just come back from Octavia's archive and it was this really amazing experience and then I came back to the harsh reality of London and I was like something isn't working something's not right you know and so again it was me sort of just reflecting on experience and asking myself all of these questions of how I was living you know how I was kind of negotiating my life and then I kind of started this question around you know what would it mean to start from a a place of abundance rather than you know scarcity or lack you know and I think this you know as again as black queer folk we're often you know because of what it is to kind of navigate the world and and what it is to kind of negotiate a society that doesn't really want us to be here or kind of reaffirms this idea that we you know that you're kind of less than it can you know it can be easy to 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 develop and internalize this this mindset of scarcity of not having enough of of not being enough you know and so i really wanted to or I was on this path of of reorienting myself of and um and so that you know the the building the sound system was you know part of that reorientation um yeah the creating of this sound work was part of that reorientation you know me developing my own I mean I'd been you know developing a kind of a, a meditation practice for for a number of years prior to that but I think really articulating a practice kind of very specific to me you know I think since about 2014 I'd been you know I, 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 I'd been regularly going to um, you know the London Buddhist Centre and you know I do you know yearly go on a retreat but there were still aspects again that didn't quite sit right for me and I think actually in this moment things are a little bit different you know the last couple of years um well no not the last you know the last few years I think we're seeing more black Buddhist practitioners which is really really wonderful but you know in some of my early days of accessing Buddhist spaces they've also felt really hostile and really violent actually because often what you're experiencing is 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 white folk who have taken on you know taken on names and taken on and it can just there's just a it's hard to it's hard to explain it um linguistically because it's something that you experience somatically you know what it is to kind of navigate a space where you're like something just isn't right here you know and and you're having to kind of make yourself small even in a space where really it's about coming into the fullness of yourself you know and so ritual without belief was kind of working through all of those different processes and you know it was about kind of reflecting on yeah the different conversations that I was having with my community around yeah social life around pleasure around um housing you know because I'm I'm you know really fortunate right now that I'm in this um you know acme space but i remember at the time like my housing situation was really precarious you know and and so it was all of these dialogues that i was having with my community you know and with my communities because actually i exist within a number of different communities you know and so it was about kind of um laying that all out really um and you know and yeah i created this six hour work you know which was just different fragments of um yeah conversation like I record a lot of voice notes um but it was also me jamming like in the studio with my court like with my chaos pad and you know other bits of equipment that I use to do um you know to kind of create um sound and and there was also this kind of base of a of the like Schumann resonance frequency which is like the earth frequency because actually at that point I was really interested in the frequency of grounding, you know, because again, obsidian is, is a, is what you would say, you, you know, it's like a root chakra um, stone. So it's very much about grounding in our um, reality and our present moment. And so, yeah, I guess I'm sort of moving, moving through the different um, uh, energy centers in a way, because, you know, with, with prophetic map, I then sort of was very much focused around like, the heart and the throat but you know with ritual without belief it was about grounding it was about centering um in the moment and in our reality to then enable me to um 
you know, move through these different sort of states of being and awareness. Um, just just to, to finish finally, um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, I suppose this could be a, a slightly mournful question, but maybe it could be a hopeful one too, um, is I, I wanted to ask if the pandemic's led you to any thoughts and, and reflections on club culture and what it means to you personally and what it means to sort of our community, um, I guess, of course, now with its loss. Mm, mm. I mean, what I, um, you know, because what, you know, what I've definitely realised is that, you know, a virtual rave cannot replace, um, you know, being in physical space with people like it absolutely cannot you know Mm. I you know folks have tried and they've made really great you know efforts with it and I understand that you know in the meantime it's what we um what we've needed to keep us going but what I um would really love to see actually is a return to more um intimate and smaller scale um, you know, clubs and parties. I think we were in a moment where, um, you know, sort of pre-pandemic, where a lot of folks, you know, it was about kind of, you know, g- going into bigger and bigger venues and, and kind of having bigger and bigger platforms with the parties that we were putting on. But actually what I would really love is a return to like really informal nights, you know, where you, yeah, where you take the system and you just put it, you know, it could be in somebody's house. Like it could be in, yeah, in a in a in a community center. It could be, you know. I think for me, I'd love to see a return to that. You know, because that's definitely like how I came into my um, love for sound systems. Is like parties in squatted, cent- you know, in 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 squatted social centers, in in like outdoor raves, things like that. I mean, the outdoor rave, you know, that would be. <laughs> That would be, yeah, you know, I, th- I think parties mm-hmm. where, yeah, we don't have to compromise on safety, um, you know, but actually there's something more intimate. Like, I'd love a return to a more intimate kind of gathering, you know, so, so that could be outdoor. Um, yeah, it could be in, it could be inside, but just with a lot fewer people, you know, because, but then there's also, you know, there's also the possibility, I guess, for things to be blended, you know, for people who still aren't ready um, to, 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 to share space, you know, it could be that they're experiencing, because also sometimes, you know, you can get enjoyment from seeing something happening, you know, vicariously, you know, even if it's like a small group who are in a space, you know, having an experience and then maybe you're accessing it, um, virtually that could be you know some kind of blended way of doing things could be a way but yeah I think I think where we're at is yeah it can't be the final <laughs> it can't be all, the, all, all there is there's there's more to come I know uh, one thing I did forget to do was name you know the people who led on the build of the sound system and that uh, was Kira Coward-Dayel, Nick Sigsworth and James Bunton. Next is a mix from Most Dismal Swamp, a London-based interdisciplinary art project and curatorial platform, producing exhibitions, online events, and music releases. We invited Most Dismal Swamp to contribute a mix on the theme of mysticism and technology, being interested in the way the platform speculates on weirding and reality in our online age.
allows direct power from silence. Well, in that case.
slipped up in your city, y'all invited. Yeah. Wish a motherfucker would. Stay put, this shot is heavy. The frame light. Be more than six degrees and can't explain the life. When the fuck the swamp turn into real estate? Spirits in the weeping willows, heavyweight. Yeah. Spirits out the bathtub for the everyday. Heavy mist got vision cloudy anyway. Anyway they go, they never get away. Shotgun in the shed and he can't wait to play. Fuck up a dollar general for Gatorators. Gators waiting in the water, chilling. Fuck it, eco away. Grab a motherfucker and then fade away. Wrestle with the scales until the break of day. Bullet through a bottle like it's breakaway. Shattered glass amassing on the grasses where the babies play. Bleeding feet could bring the beast out any day. Bleeding hearts come teaching, thinking they could save. They may should save their favors for a rainy day. It's way too many dead around for fake ass prayers to make away. Step a foot up in the swamp with your gators on That's redundant when one takes a foot Take that they ain't never slicked up in your city uninvited I wish a motherfucker would Step with your shot is heavy Flame light huh? More than six degrees and can't explain the light When the fuck the swamp turned into fashion Used to be pull up here flash It wouldn't last a week Used to stand out by just standing till he atrophy. Stitches tattooed on his lips so he don't have to speak. Hood commando flip a gram up to a half a key. Pop a band up out the bando about a half a week. Pimping partners lock it down, they feel like Master P. You ain't in the trap house less you got a master key. The rims are 30 inches here because the grass is deep. Gold on his molars cause he only got about half his teeth. You passing through to spread your gospel, you gon' have to leave. Wrapped up in a casket are the only ones the path to see. Most kings ain't verbal while you wasting time with flattery. All kings are bastards round here, that just happens naturally. Yeah. Bathwater babies creep about the bayou magically and leave your brains behind the outhouse in the grass for cats to eat.
friends don't keep secrets, right? You've been listening to AQMB's Reversal Agents program for Rewire 2021. AQMB is a London and Los Angeles based editorial platform publishing across visual art, music, and online culture at aqmb.com. Our theme music is Broken Friendship Bracelet by Himera, courtesy Unseely, New York. Thanks for tuning in.